Merci. Hey, so if you've been with us all semester, you know, we're doing this relationship series called Relationships uh, Reimagined. And basically what we're doing is we're, <clears throat> so all right, so relationships, we've, gone, we've come a long way in terms of what we've talked about. But I want to go back to where we started, which is to say, remember in Jesus in John 17, he does that thing where he says, listen, the world is going to know me by what? Or the world is going to know you're my disciples by what? By the way that you love one another. And what we've been arguing all semester is that actually what that means is the way that the way that the world knows that we're the disciples of Jesus is by the way that we do relationships. Like where the gospel means we're supposed to do relationships from everything from the way we like as sons and daughters to our parents to the way we are with our friends toward the way that we date to the way that we like do singleness to the way that we do what we're going to talk about tonight marriage. All of it's supposed to reflect this um, gospel that has changed us. This kingdom and this king that has totally changed us um, through and through. And so the world will know us by our relationships. So we've got to talk about how do we do relationships then in a way that honors and follows Jesus. And so what I want to do tonight is we're coming to marriage. And I realize like when you come to talk about marriage, it's a little bit weird because there are a lot of, there are a lot of different places you could come. Some of you maybe are really thinking about marriage. Like you're thinking about, I've been dating this person for a while now. I think they're the one, which we're, I'm hopefully going to dismantle for you tonight, which will be real fun, just real fun for me, not for you. You'll maybe cry, and then we can have coffee, and you could cry some more, and it'll be great. Let's do that. Um, but some of you come, and you need to like think about, how do I know I should get married? When I should get married? How do I know I should marry this person? Some of you are like so far from that. That like, why do I want to listen to a sermon on marriage? And kind of just say like, bear with me, because at some point this is going to be you. Just tuck this, just put this in your back pocket. Just put this in a note on your iPhone. I mean, if you take notes, that's cool. But if you just, you know, mentally put it in a note, <coughs> send an email to yourself, just come back to it. And the others of you, I would say, maybe you're just incredibly skeptical about this whole thing called marriage. And I hope by the end of the night, maybe you're a little less skeptical. But what I want to do is just read the classic passage from Paul in Ephesians 5. And basically we're looking, I'm going to, Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. You've got it on your handout. And let's just look at it a little bit together tonight. So here we go. Here's what Paul says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one who ever... For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Hey, is there any way I can like pull this stand up? Just... Uh, oh. 
Cool. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, we, th- we do thank you that you are a God who loves to reveal yourself to us. Uh, you don't remain hidden from us. Uh, Lord, you love to sing your spirit and um, give us new birth. You love to open your word to us. You love to show us ourselves, even as we pray and did the confession of sin. Lord, you love to show us the bad news that we might uh, come to rejoice and take comfort and be stunned and party around the good news. Would you do all these things and more tonight? Would you, uh, for those of us who come just with all kinds of questions or all kinds of fears about marriage, for those of us who undoubtedly have seen um, so many failed marriages around us, um, Lord, would you give us, um, just give us hope, hope that this still is a relationship that you deeply, not just, you didn't just give us in creation, but you deeply value and love to work within and love to show it as a picture of what the gospel is. So would you just be with us as we uh, look into marriage and, and talk about marriage tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So typically when we come to think about marriage, I, like, I, I typically think it polarizes on, on two sides of things. Um, there are those of us who, when it comes to thinking about marriage and getting married, we're, we're what we could call just simply hopeless romantics. Those of us who sort of didn't just grow up in Disney movies, but really like loved, loved, loved Disney movies and dressed up as Disney princesses or princes, I guess if that's a thing. Just hopelessly romantic. And our, our life is kind of, it's kind of a low-key sleepless in Seattle where we're wait, like life will really begin, we believe, when we find that person, when we find our person, when we find that one, when we find our soulmate, that is when life will really begin. And for a lot of us, college is really just about like waiting and finding that, if we're being honest. And then there's those of us on the other side who are what we call just kind of skeptics, realistic, disillusioned skeptics, where we don't really believe in the one, but maybe we're more Nick from New Girl, where we're just kind of cynical about everything, cynical about ourselves, cynical about relationships, and definitely cynical about marriage. And a lot of us, like, you know, for some of you, that could be you're coming from a divorced home. I would say my own parents' divorce polarized me and my sister. I actually was the hopeless romantic who was like, life will begin when I find my person, and then I found my person, and then that person broke up with me, and I was, like, super depressed for a really long time. That was called college for me. And then my sister was the opposite, where she moved to New York City, was like, I don't need a man. And she, I mean, you know, no one needs a man. Moved to New York City, worked in the fashion world, just worked her, you know, worked her tail off, and then met a guy, and she's married now, and you know, we, we laugh about it. But that's often where we come from. And what I want to do tonight is Paul actually says, he has something to say to, to both of us. And the way I want to do this is just kind of simply say, I want to talk about why marriage is better than you think, why marriage is harder than you think, and then lastly, uh, the secret of a good marriage. So first, why marriage is better than you think. Second, why marriage is harder than you think. And then lastly, the secret to a good marriage. First, let's talk for a little bit about why marriage is better than you think. A couple of things I want to talk about here. Here's the first one. Is marriage is this place that brings to us, in this one person called our spouse, all of the loves that we long for. So think about it for a second. So first is the love, what we could call side-by-side love, the love of friends. Part of what makes college so fun is you are experiencing a lot of, or hopefully you're experiencing a lot of side-by-side love. And that can be like playing a ridiculous amount of hours of video games with your friends. That could be like going to the fair last week with your friends. It could be like doing a Bible study and like going kind of deeper with your friends. It's just that side-by-side thing 
for me, it's like I love, like I took my family to the fair, and we did all the fair food, and the fair food was incredible. I ate the biggest gyro I've ever seen in my life, and then I ate fries, and then I ate um, an elephant, no, no, a uh, funnel cake, and then I, need, I felt like I probably should throw up, and I didn't throw up, and I just, it was great. You know, when you're in the verge, you know, when you're in the verge where you feel a little sick, but it's glorious. Uh, I love doing that with my friends. I love the side by side thing, and we long for that. We love for we long for friends, for friendship. But then, secondly, we long for what we could simply call this is C.S. Lewis language face to face love. Someone to really sit down, look look us in the eyes, and know us. We long for intimacy. This is the word, like the psychological word for intimacy, emotional intimacy, for you to know how I feel, for you to know how I for I, for me to know how you feel, for you to know how I feel. What's been great about my day? What's been hard about my day? For spiritual intimacy, that we could like talk about Jesus and talk about what the Lord's teaching us or talk about or the questions, the doubts that we have. And, of course, physical intimacy, where we can move toward you know, one of the most beautiful parts of what it means to be human. We're an Adam and Eve. We're naked and not ashamed. Um, we long for these things, right? We could just simply call this intimacy. We long for friend- side-by-side love and friendship. We also long for Face-to-face love, intimacy, and then we also long for, which I'm just going to call a not giving up, never giving up, not going anywhere kind of love, security. Someone to say, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm not going anywhere. Sort of, the, if you're a Lord of the Rings person, the Samwise, the Samwise to our Frodo, like the person who says, I'm with you, to Mordor and back. Like, I am there with you. And the beautiful thing, the gift of marriage, by God's design, is you have all of that wrapped into one person. You have someone who is hopefully either already or becoming your best friend. You have someone who you can do in the best moments intimacy in, in, in all of those ways, physical, spiritual, emotional. And you have someone who is not just, not just said, but prom- made vows, like legal vows. I'm not going anywhere for better or for worse. I'm in this thing. I'm in this thing. In marriage is this gift. That's why the Lord says in Proverbs 18, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The way I like to think about it is marriage is like the Neapolitan ice cream, except maybe minus strawberry, where it's just all of these three things that we long for in this one relationship. But here's where it gets a little tricky, but this is also the good thing, is marriage, secondly, I want you to see, is something that's meant to preserve your love. So we often think about, so when you think about divorce, we often think about why do people say that they got divorced? Typically people will say because we fell out of love, right? And we know what we mean by that. We know that you were in this marriage, maybe you did love each other at some point, and then you got along in the marriage, and then something happened, you grew cold toward each other, or some event happened, someone cheated, and you fell out of love with each other. And the way that we typically think about marriage is that love sustains marriage. But Jesus is inviting us to flip that script entirely. And say, actually, you've thought about it wrongly. Marriage is meant to sustain your love. In the words, again, of Lewis, Lewis says that love, that feeling, is the spark. He imagines this like car engine. He says love is the spark that ignites the engine. But ac- the actual engine is this mature love that is preserved and kept in this relation- institutional relationship called marriage. Listen to the way that Lewis said it. He said it, I can't say it better. It's in the four loves. Here's what he says. Send your hand out. It's the first quote. He said, people get from books the idea that if you have married the right person, you may expect to go on being in love forever. As a result, when they find that they are not, they think this proves they have made a mistake and are entitled to a change, not realizing that when they have changed, the glamour will presently go out of the new love just as it went out of the old one. In this department of life, as in every other, thrills come at the beginning 
and do not last. Uh, I love the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. <clears throat> he was in prison, Nazi, Hitler had come to the rise, and he stood up to Hitler, and he had been in prison for his standing up to Hitler. And one of the things that happened while he was in prison, he would write all these letters. And he had a niece who was getting married, and they, had, they really had wanted him to do the marriage, but he couldn't do the marriage because he was in prison. So he wrote instead this letter that he wanted them to have for their marriage. And in this letter, he says, all, it's like almost a homily, a wedding homily. But in this thing, he says something beautiful that I love. He says, he kind of closes with this line. He says to his niece and her new husband, he says, from now on, it's not love that sustains your marriage, but marriage that sustains your love. Marriage is this invitation to like do this thing that we've talked about at number one, this love, this incredible love of friendship and intimacy and security. And marriage is this vehicle, it's this place where we get to do it. And it's this place where we get to practice it. And it's this place where we get to do this incredible thing. And then the last thing I want you to see, while marriage is better than you think, is not only is marriage the, both of those things, but marriage is also the place where you get by God's design to become your best self. You get to become what, what Tim Keller calls your future glory self. There is nothing that has made me more sanctified, sanctified me more than Alyssa Elkins Reds. Like she, Jesus put her into my life to show me my own selfishness, but also to bring out in me the best, the beginnings of what Jesus, how Jesus is beginning to change me and make me new. Um, this is where, you know, sometimes the hopefulness of marriage, but this is an important point for us too, because this means that marriage is not just for my satisfaction. It is incredibly satisfying. But what if God's design means more that it's for your sanctification? That it's the means that Jesus wants to change you and make you more like himself. And the way he's going to do that is by giving you this other stranger. The thing that we're going to talk about that was harder, the thing about marriage that is so odd is you are living with a stranger. Someone who is other than you. Someone who is not at all like you. Someone who is a different sex than you. Someone who has a different personality than you. Someone who thinks about the world differently than you do. Someone who has different love languages, if you buy that kind of thing, and I do. Someone who is completely other, and yet you have to learn the art of loving that person well. I love this. Lewis Smead was a, basically like a, an ethics writer back in the 80s, and he wrote this incredible article in Christianity Today back in the day on the idea of covenant and our promises to each other. And he talked a lot about marriage, because marriage is the place where we covenant most beautifully and publicly with each other. And he was talking about this dynamic in his marriage. He was talking about how, how much he had changed from the day he married his wife. I mean, I told you all a couple weeks ago, like, when we did that panel discussion that went real great, when I said, like, if you were to come into my home, you would see a picture of me, and I would be about 50 pounds lighter. It would be in black and white because I went to the tanning bed the night before my wedding and went the full 15 minutes and got... I say this all the time, it like, looked like a hot dog and a raccoon had a baby because I wore the goggle eyes. So all the pictures had to be in black and white. And you would see this picture, and you would see, like, if, I, if you could meet that Sammy, he would have been really, really, really into Southern Presbyterians. He would have been really, really, really into, like, preppy clothes. But ironically, like, for the longest time, I wore a collar popped. <laughs> like, the, one, of the things, one of the ways I know my wife loves me is she, like, married me, even though I used to pop the I'm talking like I popped the collar for, like, a solid three years. It was not a proud moment. Yeah. Let's just embrace. I can, yeah, let's just, you, hey, you're going to look back and have this, like, you're in one of these phases. <laughs> like, the beauty is I'm 36, and I get to look back. You're in it, my friends. Um, 
But here's what Lewis Smith said. He said, when I married my wife, I had hardly a smidgen of sense for what I was getting into with her. How could I know how much she would change over 25 years? How could I know how much I would change? My wife has lived with at least five different men since we were married, and each of the five has been me. And what I love about this marriage is, again, this promise that I'm with you, and I'm going to be part of this process God calls sanctification of making you the best self you can possibly be. Marriage is incredible. Marriage is this gift. Marriage is from this, our God who is incredibly creative. Not only is he triune and relational, but he's incredibly creative and good and loves to be good to us. And then secondly, marriage is hard. I want you to just secondly why marriage is harder than you think. We could just get into this passage. I want to get into this passage a little more because this is one of those passages that's not really fun to read in 2016 because as soon as you get into it, it's like submit, 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 submit. And like, if I'm going to be honest with you, I'm thinking in the car on the way over here, like, I just, Jesus, I don't want to do this sermon because I know what they're going to hear when I say that. So let's just talk for a second about these roles and hopefully make some sense of them and just talk about what's hard about marriage. So first, the role of wives. This is the word, again, the, the, it's, this is the S word that I would way... I would way rather say lots of other S words than this S word in public. Like lots. I guess there aren't that many, but you know what I'm saying. Because this word feels dirty to us. This word feels so hard to us. What in the world is Paul saying? First, I want you to see what he's not saying. You have to understand that Christianity, part of what was radical about Christianity to both Jews and Muslims was the emphasis on the beauty and leadership and ministry and giftedness and freedom and, of women. That women were not subservient, that women were not less than, that women were equal absolutely in worth and in being, and therefore invited into Jesus' ministry, crucial to Jesus' ministry, crucial to Paul's ministry. Christianity had a radical, radical view of women that's not appreciated in our day. So he's not saying that submit, it can't mean a devaluing of yourself or an allowing of yourself to be degraded. What does it mean? I've always loved the way one of my pastor friends says it. Submission is simply this. Submission is empowering someone else to love you, to care for you, to take responsibility for you. Which is why Paul says, like, this is actually part of what it means to be a Christian. Like, we as Christians are submitting all the time. We're submitting first, obviously, to the Lord. We're submitting to Scripture. We're submitting to the church. We're submitting to each other. We're submitting all over the place. So it's not like this idea of submissions just for wives, but he's saying this is something that's actually part of marriage. There's a part of marriage where, where the husband empower, empowers and takes responsibility, and it's supposed to be in a beautiful way. And the sad thing is what happens is because men either don't do that, husbands don't either don't do that, either they don't stand up and kind of do their job, or because they abuse their power, this is what should rightfully make us nervous sometimes. But nothing is more beautiful than someone who uses power gracefully. There's nothing more powerful than seeing someone, this is of course Jesus for us. This is why when Jennifer, one of Jennifer Lawrence's first films, Winner's Bone, that's the theme in the film. The theme in the film is, here she is in this Appalachian community, and the whole film she's, she's doing what the men should be doing. And she's looking um, Basically, the question of the movie is, where are the men? What are they doing? Where are they? Why aren't they doing what they're supposed to be doing? Which was, Paul gets into second, the role of husbands. So if the, the difficult part of, as a wife is this idea of submission, what that means, the difficulty for the, for the husband is just as great. 
Because there are these five incredibly active verbs. You look at them with me. To love, to give, to sanctify, to cleanse, and to present. Five incredibly active. There's no room for being passive in marriage. There's no room for being even a little bit passive. It's incredibly active. And yet, this is the hard part, this one incredibly difficult image. Basically, Paul says you're supposed to do these things with the kind of tenderness with which you handle your own body in the shower, which is a weird image. Can we just embrace the weirdness of that image? But, like, think about it because it's a powerful one. Like, think about the la- your last shower. Okay. Just go with me. Just go with me. I'll think about my shower. You think about your shower. I actually, mine was a bath because I'm a bath person, and I'm not ashamed to admit that because it's 2016. And we've, made, we've messed up some roles in society, and this is not what Paul's inviting us into. Um, as, a man, as a man can take a bath if I want to. That's next week's sermon, men and baths. It's not really. Um, but he's saying like, you, you handle yourself. This is his point. His logic is who has not handled himself with incredible, like when it comes to the, just taking care of yourself, with incredible patience, tenderness, gentleness. Do you see the image? It's like the lion-likeness of incredibly active with like the lamb-likeness of being incredibly tender. And who, you know, do we have dads like that? Maybe some of you did. Do you think it's going to be easy to be a husband like that? I'll tell you what's going to happen is you're either going to trend toward being passive or toward being just a complete jerk. And like that's typically where we trend. And Paul's saying that's not Jesus. That's not how Jesus left the church and gave himself for the church. In other words, another way to say it is you're called to be much more than the provider. You're called to be the sacrificer. You're called to be the one who sacrifices and leads and loves like Jesus. Let's talk secondly, though, about myths we have a hard time shaking. Because first, here are these roles that we have a hard time just doing. But then secondly, we have myths, too, that we bring into marriage that are really, really hard. And this is the one where we talk about the one. We grow up our whole lives asking ourselves the question, could this be the one? Is this the person? Is this my person? And this is where I've got good news and bad news. Um, the good news is there, there is there is the one, and the bad news is his name is Jesus, which is also good news, <laughs> but it feels like bad news. Part of what happens, like, can I just say, like, nowhere, in, I was thinking about this on my way over here, nowhere in the Bible do we have anything that gives us this idea of the one, that there's a person designed specifically for you and that your goal in life is to find this person. And as soon as you find this person, your life is going to be, you're going to marry them, and your life's going to be happily ever after. Can I just crush this for you? I mean, I, let me. I mean, I'm going to try. It's, let's just start with, it's not biblical. <laughs> we, can work, we can work away from that. It's not biblical. But what we're doing is we're saying, here's the way we think romantically. This is why I'm trying to say to you that we idolize romance. And we think that if we just find the right person, then we will feel fulfilled and good, like we will like ourselves more. We will feel like our life has purpose. And do you understand that Jesus is saying all over the place that that has already, ha- if you're a Christian, that's already happened for you? That your, your deepest identity, your deepest love, the truest thing about you is Jesus, and marriage is always going to play second fiddle? Marriage is incredible, it's never going to be Jesus. Jesus is enough for you. In marriage, if you try to make it into something that is Jesus-like, is going to crush you and you're going to ruin your marriage. Um, I love, there's this guy, has this really, really cheesy way of saying it. He says, basically, we're not looking for soulmates, S-O-U-L. 
where we're looking for soulmates, S-O-L-E. And I kind of like that, if I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, it's real cheesy. We can just embrace the cheesiness of that. But I also want to embrace the biblicalness of that, that what you really should be looking for is a friend who loves Jesus, and you love the way that they love Jesus. And you know this person is flawed, and they're never going to fulfill you. They're only ever going to fail you, and you're going to need to forgive them. No, they're, I mean, they're going to love you too. But, like, they're going to fail you. And if you don't understand that, like, what, here's, let me just put it back on you. If you believe in soulmates, what do you do when your soulmate really screws you over? What do you do when your soulmate, like, really screws the pooch? Is that a, can we say that anymore? <laughs> dated myself a little. What do you do when your soulmate doesn't make you happy anymore? And I'm trying to say this because they're, you forget the soulmate. Look for a soulmate. Look for someone who can who you love the way that they walk with Jesus, and you want them to walk with you and with Jesus for the rest of your life. Uh, again, listen, I can't say it better than Tim Keller in your handout. He has this article. He's called You Never Marry the Right Person. Here's what he says. He says, some people in our culture want too much out of a marriage partner. This is exactly Aziz Ansari's point, too, if you've read his book, Modern Romance. Uh, they do not see marriage as two flawed people coming together to create a space of stability, love, and consolation, a haven in a heartless world, as Christopher Lash describes it. Rather, they are looking for someone who will accept them as they are, complement their abilities, and fulfill their sexual and emotional desires. This will indeed require a woman who is, I love this, a novelist slash astronaut with a background in fashion modeling and the equivalent in a man. A marriage based not in self-denial but in self-fulfillment will require a low or no maintenance partner who meets your needs while making almost no claims on you. Simply put, today people are asking far too much in the marriage partner. So let's ask the question, well, like why even do, why even do marriage, right? Well, I mean, should I even do marriage? Well, remember the first point. But if you're in the place where you're actually asking this question, how do I know I should get married? Let's just talk about it for a second. How do you know you should get married to the person you're dating? A couple of things. One, they meet the biblical criteria, which is simply they love Jesus and, like, are alive. And we could add, like, we'll put up with you. Like, that sounds like a real low bar, but I'm telling you, that is way higher than you think. Like, love Jesus, alive, and we'll put up with you. Two, their marriage potential, all right, what I mean by that is not like they're perfect, because obviously they're not. But that you see, you love, better way to say it is you love the way they love Jesus. I said this, in, I think I said it on the panel, but I really want to bring this home. This is from my friend Brian Sorgan Fry. What a lot of us do in this Christian world, because we're so desperate to not be the person who doesn't get married, is we take someone who definitely doesn't love Jesus, but we're trying to like desperately make them love Jesus. And so what we do is we kind of guilt date them into like a ministry. And we're like, if you love me, you'll love Jesus. And can we just say like that you're serving your idol? Like clearly in this picture, romance is Jesus, not Jesus. Jesus isn't Jesus. Romance is Jesus. And instead what Jesus is saying, will you trust me enough to know that I love you and to know that like I'm for you. I don't want to screw you over. Will you trust me that I, like, you can trust me to wait for someone that you love the way they love Jesus? Me. This is Jesus talking. Um, Three, you're talking to wiser, older people. Uh, Do other wiser, older people who do love Jesus that you're talking to, like, that's a big assumption that you're talking to these people, because that assumes you're in the church, and that's another big assumption. But do other people think it's a good idea? 
Four, you're finding both being impulsive and FOMO. That's, that's huge. Like, you don't want to get married impulsively. Like, it's a bad, real bad idea to get married on a whim. Also, you don't want to wait until you're 40 to get married. I mean, you can. Jesus still loves you. He's for you. But, like, you don't want to not, like, you're never ready to get married. Ever. You're never ready. You're never ready to have kids. You're never ready to get married. And then, lastly, five, they're your best friend. They're the, or they're becoming your best friend. You have, you have a solid side-by-side relationship that is like you love your friendship. Um, and let's talk lastly about the secret of a good marriage. Here's the secret of a good marriage. <laughs> if you've been around very long, you know the answer is Jesus. And, but two things about Jesus. I want you to see that Jesus, number one, is actually the pattern, the pattern for both husbands and wives. That Jesus, when he calls us into marriage, calls us to follow him. He calls us to come, deny ourselves, and follow him. For the wife is to submit to the husband in the way that he submits to the father. To, to let this person take responsibility for you and trust them. It's huge. It's exactly what Jesus does with the father. But then also for the husbands is to come and follow him and sacrifice yourself. Be more than the provider, be the sacrificer. To, to come and love as Jesus loved the church, who gave himself up, Paul says. He gave himself up for Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. And he died for me. Marriage is this beauty. That's where it's this beautiful reflection of the gospel. That's the whole point. That's what Paul says when he says that there's a mystery in, this, in the way that God has done marriage. And the mystery is Jesus. This is why my favorite place on campus is, is Thomas Cooper. And it's the reflection pool. And what I didn't, like, understand, like, I always thought, why? This seems like a waste of a body of water because you can't swim in it unless you're, like, really, really drunk and, like, with friends. And, like, that's a bad idea. Like, no one goes swimming in it. And, like, you can kind of sit by it and just watch it, I guess. I was like, why do we have this? So I did some Googling. I was like, oh, this is an architectural thing called a reflection pool. And the whole idea was that basically you put these reflection pools in front of beautiful buildings and it, when the sun hits it in the right way, it, you see the reflection of the building on the water, and it makes it look really, really beautiful. And the whole idea of the reflection pool is to ma- is just to make the, be- the the building, to make the Thomas Cooper, the T-Coop, look incredible. And Paul's saying that's marriage. Marriage is a reflection pool. And it's meant to make Jesus and the gospel look beautiful. And there's a way to make Jesus not look beautiful. And there's a way of doing marriage to make the gospel look not very attractive. But there's a way of doing it with Jesus that makes him look beautiful. But Jesus is also the power for marriage. He's also, think about just think about those categories. There's no side-by-side friend. There's no side-by-side love like Jesus. Jesus really is, Proverbs says, the friend who stays, sticks closer than a brother. But he's also, there's no face-to-face love like Jesus. There's no one who knows you. Like, my, my wife knows me. She knows, she knows my story. She knows, no one in the world knows me better than my wife except Jesus. And my wife loves me faithfully, but no one in my life loves me more faithfully than Jesus. He's the side-by-side love and face-to-face love, but also, who's more committed to you than Jesus? No one in this room can say to you, I'm not going anywhere, but Jesus can. No one in this room with you tonight can say, I'm, I'm here with you forever, but Jesus can. And he's inviting us to find our fulfillment. He's inviting us to find our, our the one in him. I'll close with this. There's a, a story I love from a pastor. He used to pastor in Columbia in the 1800s. 
And he had a daughter, and I love the story. It's a really sad but beautiful story. His daughter was getting, getting married. Um, she was about 18, 19, you know, which was normal in the day. And a couple of weeks before she was, you know, the invitations had gone out. The wedding was going to be at their house here in Columbia. And about two or three weeks before the wedding day, she came down with this, the deadly illness. And so she knew, like, the wedding was probably, she probably wasn't going to make it to her wedding. She probably was going to die before the wedding actually happened. And so it's obviously incredibly sad. Her dad wrote about it. You can read it in his letters where he just talked about how profoundly sad and how he wrestled with Jesus about the timing and all of this stuff. But she seemed to take it really well. And in fact, the way it worked out, this is a true story, uh, is basically what was supposed to be her wedding day ended up being her funeral. And so the guests that were coming originally for her wedding ended up coming to her funeral. But in the days leading up to her funeral, when she knew the end was near, she knew she was going to die, she said, Dad, I have a request. And she said, will you please let me be buried in my wedding dress? Because I know I'm going to meet the true and better bridegroom. And I want to be ready when I meet him. And so they did. Her dad, through tears, buried her in her wedding dress. And you can actually go to the Elmwood Cemetery. You can find her, t- her tomb. And here's what it says in the tomb. She descended to the grave, adorned as a bride to meet the bridegroom. She got it. She got it. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the, he's the one that you've been looking for. Let's look to him tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, would you meet us in those ways um, where you show us the kind of love that you have for us? Would you um, melt hard hearts? Would you encourage sad hearts? Would you lift us up? Would you cast us down? You know the work that needs to happen to us tonight. We trust you to do it. Pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.